What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. Good morning, those of you that are joining us online this morning, which is everybody. We want to thank you so much for those of you who have been praying for us, those of you who brought groceries by and left them at our door so that we could get them. We appreciate that. Those of you who are other places that sent the money to help provide groceries, we appreciate you thinking of us. We thank you so much. If you're checking this out, which I hope you do, then we want you to know that it is appreciated. Those of you who have been praying for us, we appreciate you as well. We did get diagnosed with COVID uh, last week sometime. Uh, We are on lockdown until at least tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning. I can't remember which. And so we had to put everything online this week. We do want you to know Ashley and I are fine. and We do appreciate the prayers and the support from the many people who have been sending their love our way. We feel it. Thank you so much for praying with us. Also, (laughs) we are going to be continuing our Signs of the Times series today, but before we do, I want to go ahead and make a couple of announcements since we didn't actually have service this morning except online. The first one is, for those of you who didn't catch it last week, we have moved our Wednesday morning Bible study, which was normally on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m., on the podcast. We've moved that to Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. That began Thanksgiving morning this past week. It did actually get to go up at 6 a.m. For those of you who caught my post that I wasn't sure because of the technical difficulties uh, Anchor was having, who's our main provider for our podcast, it did get fixed. It did get worked out, so it still went up at 6 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning. I know there's some of you who have checked that out. I've seen the numbers. So if you check that out, thank you so much. Also, though, this Thursday, because we're moving it all to Thursday, so on Thursdays we'll have our midweek podcast episode, whatever it be, whether it be a Bible study, or I try to, about the first Thursday of every month, have an interview show with our Unified Show to where we talk to real people making a real difference in this fallen world. And this, when, this Thursday, sorry, December 3rd, we are going to have Miss Melinda Street on Unified. She has an amazing testimony. If you heard Eddie's testimony, um, she's got one herself. If you haven't checked out Eddie's, it is still up on our podcast for those who want to check it out. We will have Eddie on there as well. He's kind of featured in and out, kind of helping her tell the story. So we would like for you to check that out. It's an amazing testimony. This girl has been through a lot and just continue to pray for them and that family. And you can check that out, though, this Thursday morning at 6 a.m. on our podcast. Today, let's talk about today. We're going to be continuing our series, Signs of the Times. Before I get too far, I guess I better go ahead and introduce myself for those of you listening online, which once again is everybody this morning. Those of you checking us out, my name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church here in Jackson, Missouri. If you're tuning online this morning, we want to thank you so much for tuning with us. Normally, we meet at the Jackson Civic Center at 10 a.m., 
on Sunday mornings. The address is 381 East Deerwood Drive, Jackson, Missouri. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you. Pray with you on whatever needs you may have going on in your life. That all being said, like I said a moment ago, today we're going to be continuing on with part four of our Signs of the Times series. And I'm kind of going to give the title today. I had to think about what I wanted to call this episode, but I believe we're going to call it Always Be Prepared. If you've checked us out the last several weeks, this is actually the fourth week of this series. But if you check out the message I had the week before I started this series, it was called The Narrow Path. And that really is where God began speaking and tying all of these things together is amazing to me. I was planning to continue our Jacob series, which we've still got on hold. Yes, we will be finishing it at some point, but it may be next year now before we get to that. Um, God has given me a different message to be speaking right now, and I'm just going to follow what God is trying to speak. He told me to stop, pause, the first week we talked about the narrow road, the narrow path, the narrow gate, all of that stuff. But then this next week we begin a series called Signs of the Times. And we've been talking about this for the last four weeks in which Jesus gives what we know as the Olivet Discourse, which is simply a block of Jesus' teaching that took place on Mount Olives about the last days or the end of time because the disciples had brought up a question to Jesus and just simply asked him when these days would come. And we're going to notice today that not even Jesus knows that, but we're going to talk about why here as we get started. So always be prepared. We're going to be coming out of Matthew 24. My goal is to finish Matthew chapter 24 today. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 51. We'll be all together. We're going to break that up into a few different sections though so that those of you tuning online can follow along and hopefully makes it easier. A little bit of a background. For those of you who have caught the last few weeks, you know this already. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up in case you're one of those first-time listeners that's checking us out for the first time today. And that is, this discourse takes place the week Jesus was crucified in our text. So, the week of Passover, he's crucified, he raises the following Sunday... Here's kind of a quick summary. If you want more details, you can go back and check previous um, messages that I've talked about it. But uh, Jesus came in on Sunday, which is what we know as Palm Sunday. People were laying palm branches at his feet. Uh, they were. It was a triumphal entry. They were excited to see him. Monday morning, he goes into the temple and begins turning over tables and telling those in there, how dare you make this a house or a den of thieves? My father's house is a house of prayer. So he turns over some tables. He ticks some people off so that on Tuesday morning, we believe, and it's interpreted traditionally and kind of through the text, Jesus had all kinds of debates with the Pharisees and the religious leaders on Tuesday morning. And this takes place somewhere Tuesday late afternoon, evening, as they're passing through the Mount of Olives to go to Bethany, which is where they believe they were staying during the Passover. The disciples turned around and they looked, and apparently from Mount Olives, I've never been there, you can have, it has an amazing view of the city of Jerusalem, and at that time, they would have been seeing all the great buildings 
everything laid out, the temple, everything that would have been looking and had been like, Master, look at this. This is amazing. Check out this view. Jesus then begins the Olivet Discourse that we've been discussing the last several weeks by saying, not one stone will be left standing. Kind of a strange way to go off of what the disciples were doing, I guess maybe trying to shift the mood because they knew he had been debating all morning with the religious leaders. So chapter 24, verses 4 through 31, we talked about the first week, a lot of it, the, uh, Jesus has a discussion of the events surrounding his return. So the disciples asked a question, when will this take place? They're interpreting the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, as the same time as the uh, end time events, which now we know because we're after them that they are separate events. But Jesus goes into eschatology a little bit as he is talking about the destruction of of Jerusalem. So verses 4 through 31, which we took at least, I think, a couple of weeks to discuss, the first couple of weeks, I believe, if I remember right, he has this discussion on what to look for, the great tribulation, different signs to be expecting, the beginning of birth pains, all of these things he talked about in those first several verses. Last week we talked about verses 32 to 35, where we wrapped up this little section, in which Jesus talks about his first lesson on how the disciples are to conduct themselves while waiting on Jesus' return. So they're supposed to be ready. They're supposed to be looking for the return. And he's giving them the things to be looking for as disciples on how to see if his return is near or not. Today we're going to be kind of continuing that discourse with how to be prepared and watching while they, or we, because it's interpreted to us as well, are awaiting Christ's return because we don't know when it's going to happen but Jesus has given us the signs of the times to help us look for the signs that we need to be seeing to know that the end is near the big one that we can look for and we talked about this the last several weeks is the great revival that's going to be a worldwide revival where everyone is going to be having an opportunity to hear the gospel, that's a big one. That's not happened yet. The whole world will know and will have had a chance to hear the gospel. Jesus talks about that, and we kind of ended our first week at that point. We talked a little bit after that. So he's telling them what to look for, but he also said, if you recall the previous weeks, to... Just because the birth pains have started doesn't mean the end is yet. Really, the big key factor that we're looking for, it appears in this prophecy and in the uh, author of this commentary and those that put this together, it seems to be the big thing to look for is this great revival, which we have not seen yet. But then he goes off on lessons on how to conduct themselves. Today we're going to talk about how to be prepared and be watching for the return of Christ. We're going to pick up there in a reading. I guess we should go ahead and get started. I know we did some announcements at the beginning, so uh, we're going to try to jump right in today. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 41 is where we're going to be starting reading in our text. And it says, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. 
And they knew about, or they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. So here is what Jesus is doing. He's continuing into his details of this great um, discourse that we're finding here in the text. <clears throat> and he's, he's, he's just opening it up and letting us in on what's going to happen. But the first statement that everyone always has a question about, it seems like, is there in Matthew 24... Uh, verse 36, when he makes the statement, seems like a strange statement for someone that should be 100% God, 100% man, which he was, and that's why we're going to take a few minutes here at the beginning to explain this verse a little bit to you. It says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, referring to himself there, but only the Father. So the question always comes up, if Jesus is 100% God, how come he didn't know when the end would come? How come he doesn't know the exact date or hour? Well, let's talk about it real quick because Jesus is 100% God and he is 100% man as the scripture has told us. However, in both his direct statement and the parables that follow, Jesus' primary point is the imminence of his return. It will happen. But there's going to be many that miss it because it's unexpected. It's going to happen so unexpected, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute, so I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Let's break down this first point, which is the unknown day and hour of his return. How can a man who claims he's God not know when that day is? Well, there may be a general indication of coming but it is so general that no one will be able to pinpoint the time. Until the budding actually occurs, no one will be able to guess the precise moment. Jesus himself willingly remains uninformed. What do you mean, Pastor? What do you mean by that? Well, if we jump to Philippians real quick, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, we find out something we know as the kenosis. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. This is really what I want to get at for those of you who have that question. How can Jesus being God not know the time, that the exact date and hour that he's going to show up? But he's, going to, he's given us all these signs and things to look for, but he doesn't know the exact date. Or at least he doesn't appear in scripture. Philippians 2 verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. Who being in very nature God, talking about Christ here, talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Famous passage, many of you may know it even if you don't know the Bible very well. You've probably seen it somewhere plastered on some sort of decoration or clothing where it talks about he gave up what he had and became flesh for us. So he takes on the nature of a servant 
so that we could be saved. The theological doctrine of the kenosis, which is what we just read, or emptying is how it's translated, emptying, generally, basically is referring to Jesus leaving that divine throne to come and wrap himself in flesh and be with us. So, generally it contends that in Jesus' incarnation, he voluntarily limited the use of his divine attributes so that he could experience the full human life. What do you mean? Meaning, he willingly gave up the attributes of God, just like Philippians told us there. He gave up that very nature of God, which is what he had. He willingly gave that up and limited his knowledge so that he would be at the will of the Father in heaven. And every time you hear Jesus talking in Scripture, you hear him talking about the will of his Father. The night he was before he was crucified, he was praying in the garden. If, if you can take this cup from me, please do. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus willingly submits himself before the Father, limiting, limiting his knowledge of the last days is what it appears here. However, he is still God, and so he gives them things to look for, signs to be looking for, so that they can be expecting his coming as the day draws near. It was only at the will of his Father that he could use his divine attributes if it, if it was the Father's will for him to do so. So when he wrapped himself in flesh, when he gave up the heavenly throne and he came to earth, he willingly submitted to the Father's will, which is why we always see him praying to the Father. In light of the unknown day or hour of his return, he exhorts his disciples to watch and be prepared. He says, no one knows the day or hour, not even me. But you need to watch and you need to be prepared. Hence the title of today's message, always be prepared. Always be ready. Jesus could come today. He could come before this video even though it went up online or while you're listening to this video. We don't know when he's coming back. We just know that he is and we, he's given us the signs and we've talked about over the last several weeks on things to look for to be looking for those last days, to be looking for the end of time, to be looking for his return. And that is really the big idea he's trying to get across here as we get into the next several parables which go on into verse, or chapter 25. And as we wrap up chapter 24 today, the main thing you need to grab is his second coming, we need to be prepared and watching. So we need to be living as if he's coming in the next minute so that we're ready if he does return in the next minute. The next thing he mentions there in verses 37 to 39 are the days of Noah. What does he mean by that? Well, let's read it real quick. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Now there are people who have dug, or dug a lot deeper than what we're going to go in on that today. Here's what you need to catch as we're talking about it today and in this short message that we have or this short time we have together this morning is that Jesus emphasizes the unexpectedness of his return by making a comparison to the time 
of Noah. Well, what do you mean by that? Jesus is pointing out that the people were so wrapped up in everyday life or everyday activities that they, that they were, had no concern for righteousness or spiritual realities. Sound familiar? The days of Noah? People were so wrapped up in what they had going on in their everyday life that they were caught off guard when the flood actually came. Here's the deal. Well, let's go ahead and read something out of uh, 1 Thessalonians real quick, and then we'll come back to this. Jesus is emphasizing the unexpectedness of his return by making a comparison to Noah. So remember that. Here's what Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, now part of this we're going to talk more about here in a minute when Jesus actually makes the statement. I'll let you know what I mean by that in a second. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus makes that comparison here in just a second. We're going to talk about it as Jesus makes it as well. But Paul's referring back to that. Verse 3 says, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. What is Paul telling us there in Thessalonians? What was he telling the Thessalonian church? He's saying you need to wake up. You need to always be prepared. Jesus says don't let it catch you off guard. Be looking at the signs. Be looking at the times that I've been telling you about so that when that day comes you'll be ready. Noah and his family went ahead with preparing for the flood even though they saw no specific signs of its coming and did not know when it would arrive. We have signs to be looking for. Noah didn't have that. All Noah had was God telling him, hey, I'm going to flood the earth. You need to go build this giant ark or this big boat so that you and your family and one of, or two of every species can survive. And we, I'm not going to have to go into major details on that with the seven and the sacrifices and different things that happen. But what you need to understand is the rest of the world went on living. They didn't realize that the time has come. Remember the fig tree we talked about last time, which is really what Jesus was going when he was talking about some of this stuff as well. And when I made my statement a minute, a minute ago about the budding, remember the fig tree last week when we talked about it? It happened so... Uh, it can go unnoticed. It's such a minor thing. But then suddenly it springs forth and it buds. And then there it is. It caught him off guard. Jesus was comparing it to a fig tree. Noah, just like you and I as believers need to be doing, need to be prepared at all times, ready for the return of Christ. So whether you go, an old pastor used to say, whether you go the way of the box or whether you are here when Jesus returns, you need to be ready because the day is coming and the hour is short. And Jesus is on his way back. God has stopped me in the midst of everything I was doing. And he told me, I need you to focus 
on this. So somebody out there needs to hear what I'm saying and what I've been saying for the last several weeks to let you know that you need to be watching the signs of the times. They are all around us. They are happening right now, before our very eyes. Now remember, Jesus also said, well, the beginning of birth pains, that doesn't mean the end has come yet. So for years, remember it's been almost 2,000 years now since Jesus was here. For years, people have been looking for this end, been looking for this last day, but it hasn't come yet. So Jesus said all these things happen. And what many people believe, many theologians, especially the author of this commentary, and those I've been studying with believe is, when this big revival happens... That's the next big thing to be looking for. And I believe we are approaching that very quickly. So we need to be ready. But then he makes an interesting statement. And I, I know that some people have looked at this as a statement that refers to the rapture. Well, um, we aren't necessarily going there today, but here's what you need to understand. Some will be taken, some left. What did he mean by that? Some will be taken... Some left. So he makes this statement about being ready. Otherwise, it's going to catch you off guard and it'll be unexpected and you won't be ready. Then he says, two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with, with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. He makes this statement, which many have come to uh, want to refer that to the rapture. I'm not going to say not necessarily today. However, it could be. But let's talk about what it really appears to be saying, at least in this text and in this context of what Jesus is saying. There are two viewpoints that we're going to key in on real quick, and we're going to go with the second one. So, But I want to mention the first one. The first view says that when it mentions a man leaving, they're in the field, one goes, or one's taken, the other left, that it's referring to the one taken as being the one that gets judged. So he gets ripped out of what he's doing and judge while the other one sits there and remains in the blessing and peace of God and he rejoices. That's one take. Now remember, we're going to do both takes and we're going to roll with the second one because that's more where I lean. Check this out. The second interpretation is that one taken, that the one that is taken actually escapes judgment. So this would be the people that want to refer to this as the rapture. Now I don't know if it's referring to the rapture necessarily because everything Jesus has been saying here has been about the second coming of Christ. So let's talk about it like this for a second because Jesus made a statement, um, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, earlier on in the text about some angels. Let's take a look at that for a second. The latter view has its favor, or has in its favor, that it corresponds in some sense with the angels who gather the elect at the coming of the Son of Man and seems more consistent with the parables that follow. So, what are we saying? Well, back up in verse 31 of Matthew 24. Remember that verse? We talked about it. I don't remember which week it was. It says, He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Because remember, even though we're breaking this up over a few weeks, Jesus is actually telling them this all at once. He's giving them this teaching. So what seems to be indicated, and the reason that they want to believe that the one that's taken is the one that escapes judgment, is because previously, when Jesus returns, he said, or it said that the angels and a loud trumpet came, and he sent them to gather his elect 
from the four corners of the earth, from one end of the heavens to the other, from the four winds, which we said could possibly represent the four points on a compass. He's sending them out, gathering his children together. This is why many people believe this could be referring to a rapture or the rapture. But if it's not, it's actually referring to when these people are gathered along with the people that have come from heaven for the final judgment and the second coming of the Son of Man. The verb here that is used when it says uh, taken and the other left. So when it says taken, that verb that's used there actually means take to safety, which is why they think that this is referring to the one that's taken being a believer and the one that's left behind is left for the judgment. And then the word, verb left there, because remember it says the other is left, means abandon or forsake. So the, it appears, just by looking at the verbs, that the person that is left standing there, whether it's referring to the rapture of the church, where if you've got any beliefs on that, or it's referring to this final judgment, this final second coming of the Son of Man, either way, the believer is taken, and the one that's an unbeliever is left. Because they're forsaken. Here's the point. We don't need to debate on all the rapture and different things. Because the point is that the Son of Man gathers His people at His return to enjoy the full manifestation of the kingdom of God. While those left behind experience His judgment. So whatever portion it's talking about. Whether it be a rapture or the actual second coming. When he's getting ready to judge the wicked and he takes the believer out, whatever the case may be, understand the emphasis here is that he's gathering his people, his children, believers, to enjoy full manifestation of the kingdom of God while the others are going to be facing and experiencing judgment. Let's continue there in Matthew 24 because I know we're going to be running short on time and I want to make sure to keep track of that. Matthew 24. Verse 42 to 44. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Fourth point this morning, if we're calling on points. He's talking about the parable of the homeowner and the thief. Very famous story. You may even know this story, even if you've never been to church, or maybe you've heard other people talking about it. So here's the deal. Remember it says there at the beginning, it says, therefore keep watch. That word watch there implies not only to keep looking, but also to be prepared. Jesus stresses the deep division between those who are ready and those who are not. Division? What? Sound familiar? Here to tell you, just in all honesty, people, the church has been divided on many issues, at least recently, at least this year, maybe other issues, and they're so busy bickering and fighting amongst themselves that they're missing the signs of the times, and I really believe that's why God has said, I need you to pause, I need you to talk about this for a second, because the end draws near. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow, 
because we know we've got some things we got to be looking for, but you need to be ready, you need to be prepared. So he's telling them to watch, to keep looking, be prepared, because there's going to be those that get caught off guard and they're not going to be ready. Appropriate watching must be accompanied with preparedness as disciples ready themselves for the Lord's sudden appearance. Jesus said it there in verse 44, so you must be ready. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. So how do I need to prepare? How do I need to be ready? Well, first you need to make sure your salvation is legit. You've been saved. You know 100% without a shadow of a doubt you're on your way to heaven. And then you need to be seeking God's kingdom first. Well, how do I know about salvation? Well, we're going to give you a chance here at the end of this video. But also, it's about repentance, which we're going to get more into in here in just a second. The parable that follows, or the parables that follow, stress the appropriate kinds of preparedness. Basically, Jesus is saying, it's going to be unexpected. If you knew when the thief was going to rob you, you would wait up all night ready for that thief, especially in this day, because there wasn't police and things like we have nowadays, at least in America, where we can be protected. You had to defend your own. Everyone was about defending his own. So if you'd known the thief was coming, then you'd have been ready for the thief. But because Jesus says it's going to happen when those that aren't watching least expect it, you need to be prepared. The parables that follow stress the appropriate kinds of preparedness. So when, as we do this next parable to wrap up this chapter, and as we get into chapter 25, understand something. They are there to stress the appropriate kinds of preparedness. And we're going to talk about that probably over the next couple of weeks as we begin to draw this series to a close. Let's continue reading there in Matthew 24, verses 45 to 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when, or doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that the servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. And he will cut him into pieces or cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So once again, and we've talked, you've noticed this theme over the last several weeks if you've been following along with us, there's two types of servants mentioned here. There's two kinds of servants. That's what he's talking about. And let's just get something else straightened out real quick. The servant placed in a position of responsibility to oversee and care for other servants in the master's household was often called a steward. So we can say faithful servant and unfaithful servant, or we can say faithful steward an unfaithful steward. Either way, we're referring to the same thing. It's a servant that has been placed over other servants to make sure the master's will is continuing to be accomplished even while he's out. Sound familiar? While Jesus is gone, he has placed us, the believers, here 
to oversee certain servants, to oversee other people, to make sure that his will is being accomplished. This verse is not necessarily just talking to leaders, because many people misinterpret that as well. It does have a reference to leaders, but it's referring to believers, all believers. You have been placed here as stewards of what God has given you so that others can come to know him. The question is, are you a faithful steward or an unfaithful steward? Well, let's talk about it. A faithful steward is a servant who faithfully carries out his master's task, even when the master is absent. So whether the master is here or not, you're still doing his bidding and what he has called you to do. He is then given more responsibility upon the master's return. Now, he hits briefly on the faithful servant because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're about their father's business. They're accomplishing what they're supposed to be accomplishing. They're ready. They're prepared at all times for his sudden return so that when he does return, things are still being managed the way they know the master wants it managed, just like us. But then he spends a little bit more time on this unfaithful servant or this unfaithful steward. The thing that points out his wickedness the most, his wickedness is in noting that the master's long absence. So the master's been, my master's been gone a while. I can get away with a little bit more. So let me just, you know, do, do a few other things. The long absence of his master allows the servant to abuse his authority, mistreat his fellow servants, and consort drunkenly with bad acquaintances, activities that are characteristics of idolaters, pagans, unbelievers, and those who have turned away from the faith. They don't have the responsibility they need to be having over what the master has left behind because they're looking and thinking, well, my master's been gone a long time. I could be doing some more things. Let me just go ahead and try a few things. And let me just do this or dabble in that and do all these different things. By the way, everything I read straight out of the commentary there came straight from the verses where it was talking about mistreating or beating fellow servants, um, consorting drunkenly with bad acquaintances, um, abusing their authority, all that was mentioned there. Upon the master's return, though, the slave is caught unaware or servant or steward, however you want to word that. Because suddenly, while they're busy dabbling in all these other things, the master returns to find them doing all the things they weren't supposed to be doing. So they're caught. So the wicked servant is a false professing disciple. They're caught unaware. They're like the people in the days of Noah that were, it was unexpected. They just went about living, marrying, being married, all these things. Then suddenly, Noah entered the ark and there was a flood and they all were washed away because they weren't looking. Remember, Noah didn't have signs to be looking for. He just knew what God said and he followed God's orders or God's will to help him escape. But everybody else just went about probably making fun, laughing at Noah. But he continued to build because that's what he was there to do. The good servant reveals his nature by his good actions. The wicked servant reveals his corruption when left to his own devices. The wicked servant's the one thinking, well, the boss ain't looking. You probably know those people at work wherever you're at. Boss isn't looking, so uh, we can get away with a little bit, right? Wrong. And you're going to get caught unexpected, especially when we're referring to the master here as Jesus in his second coming. 
The master's departure and delay give rise to a test, while his return demands an accountability of the true nature of the servant even before he left and was delayed. That's a reference once again to false disciples. With their mouth, they claim to be a follower of Christ, but their heart, their actions are telling a different story. They're abusing the power that they've been given, and they will be judged. He will come and it gives a reference here to being cast out where there's gnashing of teeth, uh, out with the hypocr hypocrites where the weeping and gnashing of teeth. But you need to understand something. A person who truly is a disciple of Jesus will watch and be prepared because it is his or her kingdom nature to do so. If you've truly received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have a desire to change. You have a desire to be doing His will, whether He's standing right next to you or not. Now, if you're really a servant, He's living inside of you. So yes, He's there with you. The warning for professing or non-disciples is that they should not delay repenting too long, thinking that they have time. What was the deal with the wicked servant? He thought he had plenty of time. Master's been gone a while. Eh, I got time. I'll get this stuff back to order before he returns. And then suddenly he came back. And there it was. You've heard preachers talk about that for years. Yeah, yeah, you're just trying to scare me into thinking that, you know, I don't know. And we don't. We don't know. So however you take that, I know there are those of you out there probably listening to me right now who know what's inside of you and what's being put out. And you know that while your master's been gone, how you've been acting. Have you been a faithful steward or an unfaithful steward? A fake disciple or a real disciple? Only you know that. I don't. You and God know that. But you think you have plenty of time, so you decide to dabble in other things. That's not going to get you anywhere. The way one thinks about the Lord's return will eventually influence what one says and how one acts. So if you literally think Jesus is coming back, and it could be any day now, then you're going to be living like it. If you actually think, eh, he's been gone for years, he's not coming back, that attitude will lead you down the path of the unfaithful servant, to which you're going to get caught off guard. And you're going to be one of those people we talked about last week who were mourning, because there he was. There he is. Now, there is another reference I guess I should really add on real quick. That the people that are mourning, there's another thought there. The people mourning are the ones that have received Christ. And they're mourning over the happiness they have that he's back. So, take that how you want. We're going to wrap up there today. I know we've went a little longer than I expected. you got to consider, though, that I did a few announcements at the beginning. So, that's it for today's uh, message. Well, I'm planning to be back at the Civic Center next, next week. We'll see what happens um, over the course of the week. It all depends on the symptoms being gone and some different things. So uh, we'll see what happens with next week. But right now there is plans to meet back at the Civic Center. Once again, the address is 381 East Deerwood Drive. We would love to have you in Jackson, Missouri, if you'd like to come and join us. If you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I promise I'd give you that opportunity here today. And it's just as simple as asking and truly repenting and making a 180 with your life. You were headed this direction. You want what God has for you. So you totally turn and head this direction. That's following God's will for your life. Because salvation is not a prayer. It's a lifestyle. How you live when you say the prayer, when you ask Christ into your heart, 
that determines if you are really saved or not, just like this unfaithful servant. Spoke it, sounded good, but then when the master left, their true heart, or their true being came out. It's about repentance. It's about repenting from your old ways and following God's way for your life. You just simply ask. You say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me, and I believe you rose on the third day, becoming victorious over death that I might live. I ask you to come into my heart, be Lord of my life, forgive me of all my sins. From here on out, I want to live my life for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. And I know that was kind of rushed because I know we're running short on time. I don't want to keep you too much longer. But you can always go to our website, which is nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. Go to the upper left corner on the screen. Click the menu button. A drop box comes down. If you go all the way to the right side, there's a link that says the road to new life. If you click on that link, it will take you to a separate website that I created in college, which will give you more details and which will walk you through the process of salvation. You follow each page in order. There are six pages. Took me uh, When I read through it, it takes me about ten minutes. It just depends on how fast you read. When you get to the very bottom, there's a prayer similar to the one I just prayed. And there's also a contact form, which comes directly to my email, which is trentoncruz at yahoo.com. If you pray to receive Christ today, I would love to know about it. Go ahead and send me a contact form and let me know. Uh, next week, we're going to be continuing Signs of the Times. We're going to be beginning chapter 25. Can't wait to see you then. Until then, this is Trenton Cruz saying thanks for the prayers for those of you who have been praying. And God bless.